What a pity you'll speak to each and every one of us. Reveal your hearts to us, Father. May your desire be our desires. Before we go into the message, I just want to sing that chorus one more time. Father, this is for you. You are holy. Lord, I pray that you will just humble us, Father. Made me realize how holy and perfect and sovereign you are. Let's sing that again. we thank you for this time of worship. God, I pray that our worship be pleasing to your ears. God, I pray that the lives that we live outside of this place can be our greatest expression of worship. God, be with us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Thank you, worship band. Before we move on with the, the remainder of our service, we have one more quick announcement to make. And we wanted to make sure that all of the ladies in the congregation knew about this amazing opportunity called Heart to Heart. Um, a lady by the name of Eunice Newby, you're possibly familiar with who she is. Uh, she runs this, and we had a short clip for you guys of her teaching, and please uh, enjoy this for the next few moments. Thank you. In this fast-paced world, it often seems impossible to balance what the Bible says about health and wholeness with the latest scientific information. With the help of these experts, Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Janet McCarroll, and personal trainer Marty Copeland, you can begin the first steps toward health and emotional wholeness in relating to the mind, body, and spirit in this inspiring and informative series, Your Body, His Temple. Now, let's join Dr. Caroline Lee for session one, Your Amazing Brain. It's great to be here with you tonight, all the way from South Africa. I was here in April, and I loved it so much that I came back. <laughs> in front of me here, I have got two brains. This is the female brain, and this is the male brain. 
It must be because that's pink and that's grey. But actually the male brain's bigger than the female brain and it's not anything to do with them being more intelligent because it's not about size, it's about connections. And the only reason the male brain is bigger than the female brain is because it's, it, they, they're basically bigger, but it's all packed in condensed. The female brain's a little bit more densely packed and that's why the female brain's slightly smaller to fit into our smaller frame. But having said that, I'm going to be taking you on a journey over the next four sessions teaching you about how your brain works. In the first session, I'm going to cover all the facts about the brain, your amazing brain, telling you the truth, because you've been really misled when it comes to understanding the human brain. So the first session will be about your amazing brain. Then I'm going to talk about thinking, thought, what thought is, how a thought forms, how it becomes toxic, and how you are in control of your thoughts. How thoughts are something that you actually, I'm going to show you thoughts, I'm going to show you strongholds, I'm going to show you toxic thinking. I'm going to show you exactly how you can actually control the thought process. I'm going to show you things like how where free will is in your brain. I'm going to show you exactly what it looks like inside your brain as, as a stronghold forms as well, negative and positive. Then we're going to talk about stress. And stress, that's the third session. This stress is, is our body's reaction to toxic thinking. It's how our body will translate what we're feeling in our brain. Our thought life is translated into a stress reaction in our body. And there's different levels of stress. You get good and you get bad stress. And then the, finally, the fourth session, we're going to talk about the 13 steps to detoxing. So I'm going to build you up through giving you knowledge about the brain, about how thought forms, how it becomes toxic, the stress reaction to toxic thinking, and then I'm going to leave you with 13 steps on how to actually detox your brain, which is really important so you'll know how to actually go and apply these things. All right, so once again, that's going to be every Tuesday held at 9.30 p.m., or a.m. rather. I don't know about you guys, but the only thing I really caught out of that was that male brains are larger than females. I kind of shut off at that point. Uh, no, but that's going to be a great ministry opportunity for all you ladies. We are very honored and very blessed this morning to have uh, a guest speaker uh, slash missionary who's going to be bringing the word to us. I had the amazing honor of actually performing this man's daughter's wedding last weekend and got the chance to meet him and his wife, and they're amazing people. And we have a video for you guys this morning, and Casey... Kopaska is, he is taking on this amazing physical challenge, and he's doing it all for the sake of missions and those that God has called him to reach. And so we're going to play a, a video, and right after that, we're going to welcome Casey Kopaska. Please, please enjoy. for the RAS is an idea I came up with several years back. This run starts in Wounded Knee, South Dakota, near the Nebraska border, and ends in the community of Wakpala, near the North Dakota border. It's about 300 miles long and follows a horse ride the Indians do every year to commemorate a warrior of theirs, Chief Bigfoot. I'm training for this 300-mile run by hill training, long runs on hilly country roads. You know, the hardest part about training for a 300-mile run it really is getting up the nerve to do the run. And uh, actually my brain is telling me that I don't want to do this, even before I'm doing it.
I don't feel sorry for myself and I don't really tolerate very well other people feeling sorry for themselves. Um, my life is about overcoming challenges and struggles. And Man, uh, sitting around whining about your life isn't going to get you anywhere. My life background fit with where Native Americans were at. People look at me, you know, people that are suffering, and I think maybe that guy understands. Having been through uh, burns over 60% of my body and uh, substance abuse issues and those sorts of things really opened a, a huge door for me to minister to them. I have a Native friend on the Standing Rock Reservation, a little community called Wakpala that wants to build a new church. 60% uh, of the people in that community are under the age of 25 years old. So uh, we're building it now, quite literally for a future generation of Native Americans that we want to see come to Christ and serve Him and grow and flourish. And so I hope that I can inspire people to get up and get moving and, and uh, moving forward. speak mostly from down here. It looks like everybody can see me anyway. Or is this going to ring if I do that? My wife just said to go up here anyway. <laughs> Guess I better obey her, especially in public. <laughs> so this is kind of an emotional day for me because we haven't hardly seen my daughter and new son-in-law since they took off on their honeymoon last weekend. And uh, it's emotional because they kicked me out of their house before I even had a chance to come and visit. I said, I said, man, I got a uh, service at Crown Point. I said, instead of charging them for the hotel, why don't you just let me stay at your place? They said, no way, it's too soon. I thought, you've been on your honeymoon for a week. You got to come up for air sometime. But, uh, so you guys had to spring for a hotel because of their, well, never mind. We won't go any further than that. But it is such a pleasure to be here this morning. And, and uh, Pastor Bill was gracious enough to uh, give me this service and brave enough to let me have the whole thing. So um, here I am, and uh, you got me too. Well, I want to tell you how it is that a guy can go from being a 17-year-old uh, burning heap of flesh on the brink of death to a person that's able to run 300 miles. When we talk about God as our rescuer, he's the only one that I know of that can do that. And it's not just about surviving trauma. Life is never about simply surviving trauma. Life is about taking that trauma and using it to glorify God in the, in the most marvelous ways we possibly can. So I want to talk about that, about being victorious, overwhelming conquerors, about the wonderful things that God can do through our suffering and afflictions. Now, our ministry, Native American Ministries of the Assemblies of God, is kind of complicated because we do a lot of stuff. But um, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine you're out in the middle of... Um, way out in the middle of the prairie, somewhere up in the northern part of the United States. You're planted in a, uh, a small, isolated community, and your job is to do something in that community that will impact it for eternity. 
The only problem is you're standing there with empty pockets and empty hands. You have no resources to fulfill the vision that you have to reach that community. Well, our ministry is the ministry that comes along those reservation pastors and says, what can we do to help? What we do is simply resource the vision of reservation pastors. Now, in that, there's a whole lot of stuff. The outreaches, the church building projects, renovations, training, uh, preparing, helping to pre prepare students for that transition into full-time ministry, Native American students, and, and on and on and on. God has helped us to evolve our ministry into this ministry over a period of 20 years. And, and I have to say this, especially the last three to four years have been probably more productive in seeing churches grow and Native Americans reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ than the previous 16 or 17 years that we've been doing this. God's doing a work on the reservation, a marvelous, marvelous work. And we have the great privilege of being part of that. And that's what we are. We're just part of what God's doing. Well, um, my story starts really a long time ago. I'm going to, let me open my Bible. I'm, I've got so much on my mind today. and uh, I'm leaving here and heading to Iowa to deal with a little family crisis. And then I start a Light for the Lost tour in South Dakota on Monday. That ends on Sunday. And I start my run on the following Monday. And... Um, uh, you know what's going on in my head? All the things I forgot to grab before taking off on this epic journey. Small things like a trailer hitch to pull the trailer that we're going to stay in on this thing. So forgive me if I'm a little scatterbrained this morning. It's, it's, um, at least I know it's not because I have a smaller brain than women. You know, that explains a whole lot to me. But uh, I'm going to come back to this later. This is Romans 8, 35 through 37. And um, I'm going to do my passage the old-fashioned way, and that's just read it from the Bible instead of a PowerPoint presentation. Um, Nate or somebody asked me if I had a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, I don't even have fingers to point with, so what do I want one of those for? Uh, by the way, I am honored to have him as my son-in-law. And I want you to know that, Nate. I'm proud of you, Kara. Uh, Diane and I have absolutely no doubt their union is an answer to prayer and the absolute divine will of God. So um, you guys have a wonderful life ahead of you and a wonderful ministry. And um, I'm going to quit talking about that or I'm going to start crying or doing something. Then I'll, have to, I'll have to go beat up a cat or to, to be manly again. Um, we... Uh, I my life started really rough. And you're going to hear a lot of stuff and think, oh, that poor, poor man. Do not feel sorry for me today. I have probably one of the fullest lives anybody could ever have. And uh, God has just, you know, flooded my life with his blessing and his goodness and adventure and, and wonderful things. And, um, you know, living for him, for me, is like growing up on the farm. Every day was a new day with new things to do. You never knew one day from the next what you were going to end up into in more ways than one. And uh, that's a wonderful way to, to live. Well, my family is really, really dysfunctional. My dad had been severely abused by a, uh, an alcoholic father. My grandpa was a mean, fighting fool. Uh, I, and that's putting it nicely. He would go to town just to drink whiskey and fight and come home and beat my dad up because he still wanted to fight somebody. And, 
when my dad was just a little boy. And uh, my mother was raised by her 13 brothers and sisters because her dad died of tuberculosis and one of her brothers shot and killed her stepdad and you know it just goes on and on and on with them. Well they brought all that dysfunction into our family and, and uh, we grew up in a hostile, volatile atmosphere to say the least. Uh, the way I dealt with that was by um, just getting lost, running from it. You know, you either fight back or you take flight when that stuff is around you all the time. And I took flight into a world of drug and alcohol abuse at a very young age. And uh, 12 years old, I was getting hammered on alcohol, hard liquor. 13, I was into all kinds of drugs, everything you can imagine, PCP and LSD and downers and speed. And you know, the thing about that is, is I look back on that behavior, I can't blame it on my parents. Because the first day I smoked a joint or got drunk, I knew it was wrong. Something convicted me and told me it was, that was wrong behavior. And I choose, chose to do it anyway, which meant the responsibility at that point was mine. We can't blame those things on people. You know why? We can't blame anything on people. I got burned up because of somebody's carelessness. Whoop-de-doo. Um, it was an accident, and uh, spending my life blaming him for all my problems after that isn't going to get me anywhere, is it? It doesn't solve any problems. Well, so I got involved in that stuff, and, and um, 13, 14 years old, 15, I was just, you know, my life was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I was proud of it. 17 years old, I went out to Colorado to spend the summer with an aunt and uncle. And uh, while I was out there, I got a job with a rancher. On the first day of that job, uh, we were headed out to a field, myself and another 17-year-old kid, to bale some hay, riding in a little Jeep. There weren't any doors on it. And um, as Floyd was driving along, I was sitting on the other side, chewing tobacco. And you know, I was not a, a tobacco chewer back then. I was a hippie kind of a guy. And, uh, and uh, or, you know, a partier. That's probably more accurate. Hippie's really old. I'm not as old as some of you guys. I'm working on it, though. But chewing tobacco, Floyd was chewing tobacco. I had to chew tobacco. You know, the funny thing about it was red man chewing tobacco. Maybe that was the beginning of my call to Native Americans. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, a gust of wind came in that Jeep and knocked Floyd's hat off, and he reached back inside to grab it. When he did that, he lost control of the Jeep, veered off the road toward the left-hand side, and, and went down in the ditch, began to bounce around through the ditch. He was fumbling for his hat. I was watching where we were going, and um, I spotted a telephone hole, uh, pole and yelled out to Floyd the most logical thing I could think of, a telephone pole. He popped up, spotted it, and I think he panicked. And instead of just stepping on the brake and slowing down and driving out of the ditch, he uh, cranked the wheel hard to the right, flew out of the ditch, hit the road again, and headed toward the ditch on the right-hand side, kind of kitty corner across the that old road. I was sitting in that Jeep, and I began to smell gasoline fumes. You know, obviously, this is happening very quickly, but adrenaline really had increased my thought processes. And I was smelling gasoline fumes coming from somewhere inside of the Jeep, very overpowering fumes. I didn't know it, but somebody had placed a five-gallon can of gasoline in that Jeep and had not tied it down. So when we hit the ditch, that uh, can busted open, and that's what I was smelling, five gallons of gasoline sloshing around inside of that Jeep. I was so focused on wanting to jump out of that Jeep, I didn't realize that it was also uh, 
soaking into my clothing. Well, I, I grabbed the little handlebar on this uh, old Willie's Jeep in the back of the seat and prepared to bail out when we hit the ditch on the right-hand side. We hit it just right to where the Jeep catapulted up over the barbed wire fence that paralleled the road and uh, cleared every strand of it. While well, sitting in the Jeep, holding on, looking out at that fence, wanting to jump in the worst way, but I thought to myself, if I jump now, I'll get my throat cut. I did not want to tangle with that barbed wire fence. And uh, I no more than had that thought when all that gasoline found a, a spark. That Jeep erupted in a huge orange ball of flame. I'm assuming it was a huge orange ball of flame because I was inside of that fire instead of the outside of it. And hit the ground, jumped out, did the right thing, uh, began to roll around to try to get the fire to go out, but I was so saturated with gasoline and where we had landed was a dry, dry weedy field. Uh, it just didn't work. All I, I did manage to do was start the field on fire, and on top of that, it was a really windy day. Wind and fire get along together very well. Well, uh, I still, you know, I tell kids about this stop, dropping, and roll business all the time because, uh, um, ironically, now I'm also uh, part of a volunteer fire department. I'm the chaplain. So I got to deal with fire and, and uh, even get to squirt a little water on it every now and then, that stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, they think, well, what good was it to roll around? You still got burned up. Uh, I'm still standing here talking about it. The pro it helped. Rolling around, slowing down that fire helped. So I rolled around and rolled around, probably for just a few seconds. It seemed like an eternity. Finally got frustrated, stood up off the ground, thought to myself, I'm just going to inhale this fire, suffocate myself, and end this right here now. I figured one big breath of fire, I'd burn my lungs, I'd die, and that'd be it. I gave no thought to what might lie on the other side of this life, none whatsoever. And uh, you know what? It doesn't just end, does it? Amen. On the other side is an eternity, Amen. either an eternal hell or an eternal heaven. I guarantee you that day, it was, it was um, June 14th of 1976, this 70-year-old boy deserved hell. I was proud of my rotten, rebellious life. I deserved hell that day. I was going to do that. I was going to take that one last fatal breath and just call it quits. Before I could do that, though, I passed out in just the nick of time. It wasn't coincidence or good luck or fate or the alignment of the planets. God stepped into that fire with me. At the last second, he was there. And uh, I passed out. I don't know how long I was out, but as I came to, what I felt was not what you would expect. I didn't feel pain or burning or fear or panic or any of that. What I felt as I came to was the most profound peace. Uh, I almost want to say that you can imagine, but you can't. It was that peace from the Bible that's beyond our comprehension, our ability to describe it or understand it. I was just saturated with the peace of God as I laid there on the ground. And uh, I didn't want to lose that. And I laid there for a little while, and, and um, I don't think I even could feel the ground I was lying on. I don't know that we can feel peace physically. But if we can, I did that day. That's, that's just all I had was peace. And um, pretty soon a voice spoke to me very quietly. Didn't know who it was or where it came from. That voice simply said, everything's going to be all right. Now you need to think about that in the context of rescue. 
I had sustained third degree burns over nearly 60% of my body. And it wasn't just skin that was burned, but muscles and tendons and bones, the bones in my fingers. My chest was burned so severely there wasn't even any living tissue. It was just bone and cartilage. And yet God was able to speak to that 17-year-old boy that was good as dead, a promise. Everything's going to be all right. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you need rescued today. But if you do, I want you to hear that still, small voice of God say those words to you. It'll be all right. He had it in control. Our lives are squarely planted, graft in the hands of God. He had it under control at the moment in my life when everything was out of control. And so I heard those words. I jumped up off the ground. Looked around for Floyd. He was already in such a deep state of shock. He was un unresponsive to my commands to lay down. Looked around, spotted a ranch house about a quarter of a mile away, and walked to that house to get us some help. Now, I'm going to say something that's a little, maybe a little too much for you, but I just want you to understand how bad the situation was. I wasn't completely out, um, even after walking to that house. After I got inside, I noticed a mirror on a buffet thing in the living room, and uh, I looked in that mirror. I don't, for some reason, I don't remember what I looked like, but I remember that I was still smoking. And so um, I can really, I can honestly say smoking's bad for your health. But uh, um, so I asked, there was just two little boys at home. I asked them if they had some place they could put me out, and they, they still had to put me the rest of the way out. Uh, had to be very traumatic for those kids, to say the least. Ended up at a burn unit in San Antonio, Texas, Fort Sam Houston and uh, military installation, but they would take um, severely burned civilian cases. And um, my parents were called back in Iowa, told to hurry up and get to, to San Antonio, but not to expect me to be alive by the time they arrived there. Uh, Floyd, he died, I'm not really sure, because I was in and out of consciousness so much. I think within about two weeks, maybe one week of the accident. I don't have an idea, but Floyd didn't make it. I wasn't really supposed to make it either, as far as doctors were concerned. But uh, God had another plan, didn't he? So prognosis was that if I survived the initial trauma, I'd be in that hospital anywhere from six months to a year. Now, if you don't have a clue about my personality by now, I don't like to sit around for six minutes. And uh, I didn't hear that prognosis, but I guarantee you what would have happened if I'd have heard a doctor say I was going to be in a hospital for that long, that I'd have found a way to escape that place. Absolutely. Even if I knew it would have killed me. As a matter of fact, I tried it anyway, and um, just about did kill myself. I managed to get myself out of bed, even though I was swelled up and had tubes and all kinds of stuff, and, and um, I wasn't going to lay around for anything, and I uh, still don't. So uh, six months to a year, man, that's a long time. But there's a lot of complications that go along with being burned, infections, and heart failure and kidney failure and liver failure. I mean, your heart has to beat so hard to sustain life that sometimes it just gives out. And uh, your own heart doesn't have the heart to carry on. But um, uh, they started working on me two primary processes. One, they had to peel off all that burned skin, and the other was they had to um, get good skin off my legs. I had leather chaps on the day of that accident. And the only day in my life I ever wore leather chaps. That was a good day to have them on. So, um, um, 
They, uh, you know, I had to peel the, I told you there's a lot of stuff going through my mind, and some of it's not really good to say in church. But um, I almost said those leather, leather chaps, the reason I got a daughter that's married today. <laughs> I'm also a little tired and a little, you know, stressed. I got to go on the road tomorrow. That's my excuse for that. Erase that part of the tape, because Pastor Bill is also the assistant district superintendent of Southern Missouri, and I don't want to lose my credentials for saying that. I really like leather chaps, though. <laughs> anyway, so they had to peel off the burned skin, peel off the good skin, peel, put it on while they peel off the burned skin, cut off a few parts here and there, and... and um, and um, started working on me. You know, those doctors, though, they didn't always have a lot of good news for me while I was in that hospital. I lost my voice because my vocal cords had been severely damaged. Uh, lost my eyesight to the point that a doctor came in my room one day and said, Casey, I'm going to shine a light in your eyes, and I just want you to tell me if you see any light. And so I looked in the direction of the flashlight, and there was nothing there. My world was just as black as though I had no eyes eyeballs at all. I was totally 100% blind. But uh, what I said to him, I said, I don't see anything. And he um, said to my mother, who was nearby, I don't know how much eyesight your son will regain, if any, and turned around and walked out of the room. For all he knew, I was going to be blind the rest of my life. The only thing those doctors did from that point on that I remember was come in several times a day and squirt salve in my eyes. I guess probably some kind of antibiotic and, and um, hoping that would keep infections out or maybe they could do something, but that was it. And um, I walked out of that hospital three and a half months later, not six months to a year later, with 20-20 vision, fully functioning vocal cords, and, um, and ready to get after it again. Though I had a long, long ways to go. But um, I skipped over a little something, though, I want to share because, you know, for me, three and a half months, three months was an eternity being cooped up in that hospital. I just, I just hated that. I hated school growing up. That was even worse, almost, because um, I had to sit still so much and be confined and, you know, teachers. Um, I, I was in there for a few months and probably about three months by that time, and I just homesick. You know, I set a goal to live in that, that hospital, and my goal was to get home, pretty much like it is today. My goal is to get home with God. But uh, I remember one morning, they, they always got us up real early, military guys, they do that stuff. And, and um, this was probably toward the end of August, first part of September. They'd gotten us up before sun up, and uh, I just had a little time and walked down this hallway into this room. And that room was facing east. It had a great big window that almost went from the floor to the ceiling. I was standing in front of that window, looking out, watching the sun come up, the different colors, the oranges and the reds and all of that. And I just became intensely homesick. Now, I didn't cry in that burn center very often. No one did. We just were tough for each other for some reason. And, and uh, we didn't cry. And, but uh, I stood there in front of that window thinking that's the direction home. And... Um, I started weeping. I just was so, 
such a deep longing to get back to what was familiar and what I knew and the people I knew. And, and um, I don't know that this happened. I can't tell you this happened. But I can imagine that at that moment, as I stood in front of that window, longing for home, that Jesus Christ uh, was standing there beside me with his hand around my shoulder saying, I know, I understand. No one was as homesick as Jesus Christ. He understood. And he, that's why, that's why shortly after that, the head surgeon of that burn unit, one of the greatest burn pioneers that ever lived, came by my bed to tell me I was going home. And uh, the way he did that was he stood there looking at me, scratching his head for a very, very long time. And uh, long enough, I almost, you know, said something sarcastic to run him off. And I was getting ready to do that, and he said, I don't know why, but you're going home in two weeks. He didn't have it figured out. He didn't know why my body had healed as dramatically as it had. He didn't know why he could let me out that soon, but God did. God had it under control. He's not just concerned about our physical well-being. He's concerned about our emotional well-being. He's wired us all together the way we are, whether we like ourselves or not. Uh, we are the work of his hands. And... Um, it was his healing hand that had me out of there in that time. Well, I had a struggle. I had years of reconstructive surgery to look forward to. I had all the, these unknowns in my life. How was I ever going to put my life back together again? How was I ever going to get through all this surgery? Was I ever, you know, I longed for what was before the accident, which was never going to be again. And that's the thing about trauma. Your life is never the same again. Um, so uh, I had all that going on, and I didn't, I didn't have any coping mechanisms just because I'd been burned up. I didn't all of a sudden get a bunch of great coping mechanisms. Ran back into the drugs and booze, only more than ever. And for the next five years, I just got hammered on that stuff. Got to the point I wasn't even drinking any, uh, hardly drinking water or anything, just booze and, and ingesting drugs, and I was losing weight. I think I was down to 100, less than 130 pounds and suicidal. Not suicidal because I was burned up, but suicidal because of my lifestyle. I just had had enough of drugs and booze telling me what I was going to do with my day. And I uh, didn't want to live with that anymore. So, uh, you know, I was wrecked. And I finally ended up in a psychiatric hospital in Des Moines, Iowa, depressed, suicidal, ready to give it all up and just end it all again. And, um, but while I was in there, I remembered that I had a Bible. When I was a kid, somebody had given me a Bible. And so I asked for that Bible, and they brought it. Uh, I began to read that thing. Had never read it before. At night, I would sit up in that hospital bed in that psychiatric hospital and crack that Bible open and read it. And one night, I don't know what I was reading. I'd been in there for probably a week and a half. I must have been a mess or something. Um, I'm still a mess. Uh, I don't know what I was reading, but as I sat there and read that one particular evening, I just began to want to be with Jesus. That's all I felt. I just wanted to be with Jesus. Not in the sense of dying and going to heaven, but in the sense of giving him my whole life. I just wanted him. I didn't want partying anymore. I didn't want girlfriends and, and family. I didn't want anything. I just wanted Jesus. And so after a little bit of, of sitting there and, and 
feeling that intensity, I got out of bed, got on my knees in that psychiatric hospital and prayed this simple sinner's prayer. Jesus, I just want you. We sang about it this morning. At that moment, he became more than enough for me. He was all I needed, all I wanted. I didn't care about anything. I had Jesus. That's what it was all about. That's what my hungry, thirsty soul had been searching for. That's, you know, that's what the rebellion was all about. I think it was more of a searching for him than running from that. And uh, the rescuer came to a hospital room and delivered my soul from hell and put me on a course to eternity and a course to where I'm at today to helping Native Americans and uh, reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't God something? Amen. You know, there's been struggles along the way. Uh, I'm going to close this in about three minutes. But, um, you know, the reason I run the way I do today is because of a physical struggle. They gave me um, a lot of blood transfusions in that burn center, including and, and, and with that, hepatitis C virus. Well, a few years ago, I found out about it. I had to go through treatment. It was like doing uh, two types of chemotherapy at the same time for 12 months. I mean, this was some nasty stuff they were dumping into me. And, uh, you know, the hair was falling out, and I had all kinds of physical problems and extreme anemia, and, and um, it just goes on and on and on, as you might imagine. And I finally got so sick, I couldn't even get out of bed anymore because I wouldn't slow down. I was supposed to slow down, you know, while I was going through this treatment. And, and um, that was the busiest summer of my life uh, at that, up to that point. And, and I finally was wore out. I couldn't get out of bed. I went to bed. I couldn't get out of bed for about 10 days. And finally, I got up and I looked at Diane. I said, I got to do something about this. Um, God put a little fight in this scrawny little body. I've been told, I went through a little therapy some time back, and the person said, this is a while back. So I said, you know, you got to quit being such a fighter. And um, I want to slug that person for saying that. <laughs> I thought fighting is the reason I'm alive today. So uh, anyway, I, I said, i got to do something about this. And I thought, I'm going to start running. I was doing a little mountain climbing anyway before the, the treatment. And um, so I was doing some running for that, but not much. Just trotting a few blocks here and there. So I thought, I'm going to start running. I'm going to get in shape. But I had to have a goal because I wasn't going to run just to be healthy. I had to have something to shoot for. So I set the most ridiculous goal that a, a sensible human being could set, and that was to run uh, a full marathon. I was going to train for a month. I'm going through hepatitis treatment. But anyway, make a long story short, three weeks after my last treatment, I ran the George Mickelson Marathon in South Dakota, 26.2 miles. And that is what has evolved into this. I've got the stuff to do this run, 300-mile run through the South Dakota Prairie. And I'm going to do it to build a church, but not just to build a church, to celebrate life. Uh, that's what running is for me. It's a celebration of life. And even the painful part of it reminds me I'm alive because God has breathed life into me over all these years. Um, you were given a pledge card, run for the res pledge card. I want to ask you a favor. I want you to pledge or give a donation this morning in addition to the missions offering. And um, 
that money that you give to this run is going to help. Help uh, build my old friend Eugene King at church. And um, he needs one. This is the Indian man that took me under his wing and mentored me when I first started ministry. 20 years later, I get to come back and help him out. And so um, give me a hand with that. Let's get Eugene a church. Get me sent on my way to South Dakota. I'm headed there actually today. And, um, but you know, in closing, Craig's going to come. And uh, man, Craig, what a talented. I hate him. <laughs> I thought during that wedding, it was his first wedding service. I thought, man, this is going to be great. It's his first service. He's really going to mess up. I'm going to get a good laugh out of this. He just did a perfect job. And so, um, oh, I don't hate him that much. But, <laughs> but you know, I don't, God knows where you're at today. He knows where you're at. And he knows where you're going to be tomorrow. I guarantee you in the darkest moment of your life, you can look up to him and know that God is there. He's there. Craig. Can we give a round of applause for Casey? I want to thank him and, and Diane for coming out. And at this time, as the band starts to make their way out, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward. But we're going to give you an opportunity to, to write out your checks. As pastors would normally say, I'm going to stall right now. I had the opportunity yesterday to go out and grab some coffee with KC. And he began to tell me a little bit about the ministry and the work that he's able to do with the Native Americans. And he says it's so difficult because of this this riddled past that the Native Americans have, have experienced so many hurtful things in their life. Men have come in the name of God and they've killed their people. They've stolen their land. And so these, this group of people are so hard to minister because once you say anything about the name of God, they immediately think something bad is about to happen to me. And so Casey's got his work and Diane had their work cut out for them because they need to take a people who have been so hurt so angry with the church and they need to begin to show them God's love and he began to tell me of the story of the work that they are doing and they are literally impacting and changing the Native Americans that they work with and they work with the local churches and they aid the local churches whenever in whatever way they can and it's an amazing amazing ministry that they are doing and so let's give for them sacrificially tonight Let's, or this morning, right? let's give for them and let's support this run because I believe when we begin to do that, God is going to bless our hands. So please, as the band plays this song, give it this time and let God touch your heart and speak to you.
like for us at this time to bow our heads rather quickly. Casey began to share with us his story of his life. And many of you, you might look at him and you might think, wow, what a triumph. And that's true. A man that's overcome so much. But the reality is tonight that there's something far worse than what Casey has been through in his life. And that would have been eternal separation from God. So if you're here tonight, it wouldn't be appropriate unless we offered you this invitation. You'd say, Craig, tonight, man, I'm in this place of hurting. I'm lost. I've got that void in my life and I'm trying to fill it, whether that be substance, abuse, whatever. And you're saying, I want to make a change tonight. I want to have a part of this fulfillment, this life of purpose that Casey kept talking about. If that's you tonight, I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand. We want to give you an invitation, a chance to change your life, a chance to start over. We're not going to wait long. We're not going to extend this. We just want to allow you to have this opportunity. And lastly, we're going to continue to play this song, Healer, because I feel that it's the appropriate theme. We're right in the middle of this series, Rescue Me. And I believe that probably for some of you out here, you feel like you're at that place in Casey's story where you're like, I'm right in the middle of the fire. I am right in the middle of life's troubles, the trials, the tribulations, and I just don't know what I want to do. Casey described it as he just wanted to take that final breath and let the fire consume him. And you say, Craig, I'm right at that that breaking point. I'm right on the brink and I just need so much for what he described, what Casey talked about is that peace that passes all understanding. That peace that you know that God is in control and he's just going to take care of it. If that's you tonight, you say, Craig, that's me. I just need a peace. I'm going through a tough time and I need God to touch me right now. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now. There's hands up all over this room. I want you guys to keep those hands up and if there's someone next to you with your hand, let's go to them and let's pray together collectively as a body as we begin to play this song that God will be able to heal them, that they'll be able to let go and say, God, I'm not in control. I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I know that I serve a God who is in control. I serve a God who's bigger than my circumstances, who's bigger than my understanding. So keep those hands raised. And at this time, as we sing this song, Let's pray together as a body. And I, I encourage you, if you raise your hand, just give those needs, give those worries up to God, and He will provide. Let's do that at this time. Here come thy
today guys we'd like to thank you all for just coming out today and hopefully this is not just a, a waste of time for a lot of us something we just we just went to church and we just go on with the rest of our week i pray over myself and over each and every one of you that god right now i pray that you take this message and you write it on our hearts father god i pray that we remember as we go through on the rest of our week that you are a rescuer you are a healing god and you are a perfect god god i pray that you keep that reminder on our hearts as we go throughout the rest of this week in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Make sure you say hello to one another as you guys head on out. We are